Hello, hello. Good afternoon. Good morning. Good evening. And good night. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to write an intro. I didn't last week. I think I just did it. So, who needs writing? Who needs a script? Not us. Turning Signals Podcast, episode 14. Welcome and thank you for tuning in. Thank you indeed. I just wanted to say first up, thank you to everyone who listens. Absolutely. Wow. We've got like a consistent listenership by the look of it. Yeah. And people overseas, which is super exciting. Shout out to India, Canada, US, Japan, France. Amazing. So good. Hope you find this. from WA. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you find this useful and relevant and uplifting ultimately. Yeah. With enough gravitas to keep you grounded. Yes. Well said. How have you been going, Zoe? Uh, Very well. I'm in a bit of a rabbit hole lately. Mm, Good. Um, Yep. It's fun. Confusing. What can you tell us about the rabbit hole? Uh, Well, it's sort of... Where shall I begin? Um, Can I say, first of all, that uh, we're recording Thursday, so tomorrow, Friday, 29th of July, will be the Leo new moon. Yay. Yeah, um, which is sort of in a lovely trine relationship to Jupiter, which is stationing retrograde at the same time, so sort of as we speak. So um, that sort of lends quite a potency to a planet when it's stationary or appears from our earth side perspective to be stationary so yeah it's a really kind of beautiful new moon in that sense but it's taking place at a very volatile moment (laughs) in the year um what is the volatility so that's uranus mars and the north node in taurus Right, okay. So I don't know if we want to go straight into that or I could talk a little bit about the North no- oh, sorry about the new moon. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about the new moon. Okay. It's in Leo, that's exciting. It is exciting. It's lovely and it's also sort of marks in a way almost 6 months since we started this little venture because that oh. was on the Leo full moon, wasn't it? Yes. So thereabouts, if I remember rightly, because it felt kind of bold and Yeah, so also we're moving into a full moon, obviously. That's the way the whole cycle works. And that full moon will be trying to Eris, as was the full moon, the Leo full moon um, that we... Kicked off under. That's right. Mm. So, um, yeah. I, so I just wanted to talk about Jupiter a little bit because, yeah, it's kind of with the volatility associated with the Uranus North Node Mars action, um, Jupiter is also a very kind of bold mover and shaker, <laughs> um, known traditionally as the greater benefic, but um, and certainly brings good fortune, um, bestows gifts upon us. But I always think about King Midas with Jupiter. The Midas touch. Yes, where everything turns to gold, but then you can't eat gold. Mm. So um, it's good to be aware of the overconfidence and foolhardiness that comes with Jupiter, Mm. for sure. In regards to like, I know a lot of people like to sort of set intentions with new moons and I'm all for it. Um, But I do sort of think it's the unexpected results that can sort of happen because of what else is going on in the cosmos with the... Uranus, Mars, North Node thing. Mm. We don't really know what we're messing with. <laughs> right. So I would, I'm, I'm generally a bit wary of magic, but um, I would probably not mess with this new moon when it comes to like ritual and magic. Okay. If people are kind of into that stuff. Because, yeah, I mean, nothing wrong with lighting a candle and being present or anything like that, of course. But it's Be a bit like... Be careful what you wish for. Absolutely. Because, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's possible that we'll get what we wish for so (laughs) and everything that comes with it yes that's right so um yeah jupiter will go back into pisces um in late october which yeah 
um, that hasn't happened, that sort of crossover, retrograde crossover between the first sign of the zodiac being Aries and the last sign of the zodiac since September 2010. So there may be some reflective um, relevance there for people and then coming back into Aries um, in December, so where it will remain until I think it's May next year. Um, Yeah, so it is a very beautiful new moon with optimism and audacity abounding. Mm. But, um, yeah, we should just also be a little bit wary. Um, Ceres is also close by to the new moon, so um, she is often connected to, like, food and nourishment. Um, in a in a mundane sense, we might kind of see the some kind of aid or relief being provided in the weeks ahead to countries being impacted by food and energy Sri Lanka, crises. Mm. Afghanistan, but perhaps. and I say that, and then I'm thinking immediately of like the IMFs in Sri Lanka again. I'm pretty sure. Oh, and okay. Rescuing pledged, everybody. Yes, yep. 1.2 billion. I think is that'll the, fix it. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I mean, ongoingly, there's issues with food in the world. Like, food is up as a theme. Um, okay. So, that yeah. sort of fits with series and the Netherlands farmers' protests, which, you know, is impacting on their capacity for food production, of course. Um, and, you know, the reductions now being imposed on animal farming, not not just limits on fertilizers, but animal farms as well. Yeah, yeah. It all fits, of course, with the agenda that we're all kind of familiar with. Um, Pakistan, with its newly pro-US government installed, is flooding and the rupee continues to go down. Food shortages are about to be made worse by the reallocation of grains that were bound for Pakistan. Who's reallocating? Oh, yeah. So um, I don't actually, I didn't do enough follow-up research of that. I just came across a story yesterday or the day before about that they were reallocating grains that were destined for Pakistan where they're having enough troubles of their own. Um, I think they're being reallocated to Europe because they're having oh, trouble okay. sourcing. Yeah, because so Ukraine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right, because Putin. Um, yeah. yeah, so, but in a more personal sense, the series presence at this new moon sort of indicates um, that we should probably prioritise self-care in the sense of um, taking responsibility for our own okayness is sort of where I've felt the um, energy going rather than sort of – because sometimes with Leo there can be that sense of entitlement and an expectation that others ought to appreciate us. Yes, of course, yeah. (laughs) And that that isn't being done adequately and I will (laughs) leave if you don't. Well, Um, that – that brings us into Taurus North Node. Oh, that's then, true. Doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's a good segue. Um, yeah, so... I, I've I, been enjoying thinking about the Taurus North Node because I personally have felt really, you know, for, for a few kind of reasons that I can, you know, reasons in the world, like I'm doing this play mm-hmm. where I'm playing someone who's a professional athlete 15 years younger than myself. <laughs> So I've got to get in Take shape. Take that as a compliment. <laughs> so those kind of things, like mm. there's things in the world calling me to improve my health and fitness. Mm. But they're kind of manifestations of like what's going on with the North Node. Mm. That we are, all of us are being called to be more responsible for our own health, mm. improve our like self-care and prioritize that. Yes. Which is such a... I mean, I personally love it as an opportunity. Mm. I bought myself like a new, a really nice football yesterday. Yeah, cool. I like saw a, it as I came in, yeah. Yeah. It's the <laughs> Dockers football. <laughs> yeah. It's like the <laughs> Dockers football. Um, but it's like heavy. Shout and, out to Sharon if you want to sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> looking for more footballs. <laughs> but, um, you know, as a, as a treat, as like a reward for myself and like mm. an incentive to like because I've been kicking the footy around the over, like as you know get into this role. Yeah, right. But also oh, for Oh yeah, the, that's so cool with embodiment. You yeah. are the footballer. Well, you are the football. It's for me that's like the method. Like <laughs> yeah, you have to be you have yeah. to step on stage as someone that knows how to kick a Is that 50 what method goal. acting is? 
Where you I think step so. into the method of what you, the, your character. Yeah. 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 So if you're playing an alcoholic, you need to get on board. So I'm just waiting for that role. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no. So please, um, you mentioned uh, yeah. the North so, Node um, <clears throat> and the conjunct. Yeah. So um, currently, the North Node and Uranus are applying to one another in Taurus, and that conjunction will happen. Where is it? Uh, on the 2nd of August. Oh, sorry, that's the Mars part. So um, on the 1st of August, Uranus and the North Node come together. And on the 2nd of August, Mars meets Uranus. So it's sort of all together, as you can hear, um, in the mid degree. Hang on, what is the degree? I'll tell you in a second. Um, so it is, as I said, volatile um, and very potent. And the first week of August is particularly so um, a lot of people especially people with um, a lot of planetary presence in Taurus or angles or whatever in their chart in Taurus will be feeling it already um, and may have been feeling it for some weeks even um, since Mars went into Taurus and sort of amped up all that energy um, but we'll also be feeling it generally among the population and in the news and media and current affairs and whatever throughout the lunar cycle um you know the full moon as i said and in two weeks that will be the full moon conjunct um saturn in aquarius which will bring up um the themes that i've already spoken about several times and we can talk about them more when we do a um full moon episode hopefully but yeah i think it the it's obvious that there is like an aggressive drive to push forward in innovative ways in the world. Like that is a pretty apparent kind of a theme that you can see, at least that I've been seeing. And that sort of leads into the rabbit hole where I've been, um, which I'll go there in a second. Conflict is likely, which is no surprise. um, And things can escalate quickly, which is, you know, relevant to us as just one person and in the world. Um, So read into that what you will (laughs) but things can certainly um, change quickly and unpredictably Um, developments are probable so um, I heard yesterday but I think in some ways it's kind of old news but they there was some kind of announcement yesterday the day before about the line you know that city in Saudi Arabia the line the line it's called so it is a long city Okay. It goes, I think it's 170 kilometres, I could be wrong, but something like that, like right. 170 kilometres long, about 200 metres across, okay. linked by one high-speed rail line okay. and are walled by mirrors so that it just reflects, like from the outside, we will, you know, someone standing outside, like us unvaccinated people are likely to be, <laughs> would just see the reflections of mountains and, you know, and it would presumably reflect the heat of the desert so neom.com is the website if you want to look it up um there's some very interesting video no streets no cars and no traffic jams all run on renewables plan for enormous mirror whoa yeah it's pretty wild so that was an interesting kind of thing in terms of that uranus north node mars (laughs) conjunction i thought Um, it actually looks cool in like the the images. Yeah, I know. <laughs> when you watch the video, like, oh, can I go there? Yeah. <laughs> um, but we won't be allowed. Sorry, I doubt very much. If oh, wouldn't want to then. actually. <laughs> no, of course not. But yeah, you can see why it's attractive for people though, and oh, interesting, yeah. you know. And that's where that leads me into the rabbit hole, sort of, because um, my train of thought, led by this Uranus North Node thing in Taurus has been um, into artificial intelligence and transhumanism, which I've been thinking about for a while anyway, but just been forcing myself to sit with the discomfort, thank you, Eris, um, you know, of people like like transhumanists and Mm. what they're saying. So like Elise Bowen, that intrepid young thing, um, is very forward in her belief that we need to confront the reality of artificial intelligence and transhumanism and enhancement of human functionality and all of those things because they're our only option to survive. So she's a proponent of... Totally, yeah. yeah. Um, and 
she thinks it's inevitable. Um, Maybe it is. Well, I, and that's where I've been sitting, right. is trying to deal with that and all the discomfort that comes up for me and the resistance that I have to that because I think it is inevitable, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we have to get on board with it and get a chip implanted. Although yeah. that I've been waiting to hear about Neuralink's chip implantation. Turns out another company in the US beat Elon to it, and Elon's actually Neuralink's in trouble for mistreating animals. Actually, oh, incidentally, wow. um, hey, but- that thing you <coughs> sent me. I just want to make a quick sure note. Um, so that was eugenics.org, mm-hmm. which I actually couldn't find like, a website or something, but I guess it's the UN or it's World Health Organization, is so it? So it's certain – I don't know, Liam. I yeah. it, I have to do more following the trail there as well, but I just somehow in my rabbit hole wanderings came across that eugenics.org link and it's it's interesting, isn't it? Slightly terrifying. Yes, indeed. And I also was perplexed as to whether it was for real or not. I was like, man, yeah. this this is like someone, some geek at home has made this mm. to cause like a sense of um, panic or confusion or um, proponents or yes. something. Like yes. it's it's. I got that same sense. Like you have to be critical about you know these things. Yeah, but then. <sighs> Thinking about it just now and thinking as, you know, you were saying before we started how, um, you know, cognitive dissonance and mm. um, what's the other one? Mass formation. Mass formation. Mm. So, and, you know, people being very convinced of their ideas mm. and that their ideas are good and right. And so you can see how the words that you just used quoting that woman, mm. essentially you were quoting, you know, all the things that transhumanism will bring that are positive. Yes. So you can see why people of would be course. like on board with it. And looking at that eugenics.org video that you sent me, again, I think of it, I'm like, oh, it's terrifying. But it they're, they're actually talking about a utopian vision. Absolutely. And this just reminds me of, um, you know, when I was a member of the Socialist Party, mm. how we would basically finish every meeting with this kind of agreeance that we were all looking forward to the socialist utopia that wow. was inevitable. Amazing. And and so you have this, it's like, that's what humans want. They yeah. do want a, a, a utopian like world mm. without suffering yeah. where we don't have to suffer. Yeah. And if it has to come by, you know, Mass embryonic. <laughs> <laughs> the fucking crazy part is, right, yeah. If it comes by, let's just get the suffering done now. Well, hence the USSR, right? Yeah. Like the Soviet... They were suffering for their children for or the whatever. Future, like, yeah, yeah. But it was in the name of something greater. The fucking crazy part is, and where these people are so like wrong, mm. is like if you don't and when I was watching that, I was like, How will you be in a state of bliss all the time <laughs> if you don't have anything else? That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Like how would you, you refer? How would you know your bliss? Mm, you don't. And what happens to the human psyche that has darkness within it? Yes. That is exactly. yin yang. Like, exactly. for fuck's sake, it's, we already live in utopia. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, <laughs> have you looked outside lately? <laughs> have you had a look at a flower lately? <sighs> yeah. Anyway, I know. I, I digress. So, no, no, it's brilliant because, and that is exactly where I'm left with thinking about it is actually to like of course on the surface or on the face of it it seems like what reasonable person would possibly want to argue with removing suffering from planet earth like why would you not want to have people not suffer i mean we mentioned in a previous episode how suffering creativity is born of suffering and consciousness too something i was reading just this morning actually made it i should have saved it actually that is the experience of suffering it produces creativity yes so what (laughs) Mm. when we're all living in this constant state of bliss is Mm. it i mean i just why why would you want that and so actually i think let's go ahead with crispr and you know Mm. uh, editing our embryos to make the perfect child if you want Mm. but yeah i'm actually Imagine a world where 
you could choose. You could yeah. go down that road, get your chip, get implanted. Yeah. Or if you didn't want to, you could live over there mm. and you didn't, you didn't have to. And you yes. were left alone. Yes. You didn't have to well, sign up to that. Well, that's what I'm signed up for. I really hope that that will be a possibility. Why I'm, I'm concerned I? that it won't be a possibility. But we I have really to struggle hope for that, it. Yeah, and we have to fight for it yeah. like, and, and go our own way regardless of what. And then, you know, I also don't want to become a crazy person about it and I do want to look Too at late. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. Um yes, agreed. No. <laughs> it was just low hanging fruit. No. <laughs> um yes, it's I want to be open minded and I want to look at things and listen to the proponents of transhumanism because I think it's foolish to stick our heads in the sand, which Elise Bowen says. I mean, her argument is that if the West don't take it on, China, Russia, India are already doing it. We need to be doing it too. Yeah, I'm not sure that's true. Yeah, well, I don't care either way because it's like, uh, I mean, I think – I agree with what she's saying about not sticking our heads in the sand, but I also think that um, the hubris around imagining that you can or that it's even desirable to have a world exist without suffering is so flawed in its premise, like fundamentally flawed. Mm. And she's 30, she said in an interview that I listened to um, with a bookshop that has had very few listens, but it's a very interesting, it's called Avid Reader Bookshop. It's on YouTube and she just, she's young, Mm. bless her heart. And she just, I mean, it seems like she's grown up um, conditioned to believe strongly in this movement. Well, again, you can see why. I mean, it's the same as you can see why Bill Gates thinks that lowering the world population will improve and i mean if you Klaus. in a in a way you can see how yes if you lower the global population it will result in better like outcomes yeah. for the people who are here yeah um there's other ways of doing yeah. that you know it's <laughs> but you can you can see why yeah how they can sleep at night yes. these people and you know why elise would be so pro that because yeah, yeah you she doesn't want her nana to die. There you go. And that's another thing that it's about is immortality and, you know, people not having to be sick anymore. Like you shouldn't – there should be no such thing as heart disease or – but, you know, to me that just brings up the issue of Saturn and consequences and it's, material reality. That's like if reality? You, yeah, that's like reality. Like you make People get sick and, and die. Yeah. That's part of – And imagine how stupid we would actually get – if we didn't have mortality to keep us in check, yeah, and like well, the material realm consequences of shitty choices. <laughs> right. Where on earth would that lead? <laughs> I know. Look how bad it is already. Yeah. Like when we actually do have to deal with all those things. But I guess if you have enough money, you potentially don't have to deal with consequences. But yeah, I mean, presumably. That's a great point. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I think... So I was going to tell the story of the Minotaur, but I don't know if we have time. Really. I think we do. You've got five minutes. Oh, that's yes, should be. So I just want to say, like with AI, um, yeah. So it makes me think about the Minotaur, and the story of the Minotaur has been with me all year, and even like for the last few years since Uranus has been in Taurus. Um, the Minotaur, the story of the Minotaur, who is a creature, half man, half bull, the, the head of a bull and the body of a man, exists because, let me just tell the story. So King Minos of Crete was born by birthright king of, the, of Crete, but had to fight for his right to take the throne And the way that he convinced the people was by saying that he should be given anything he wished for as a symbol of his righteousness as king. So Poseidon sends up the sacred white Cretan bull to the shores of the island. And 
I put myself under pressure to try and tell this crazy story and I'm going to muck it up now. <coughs> no, I'm not. Um, so there's the Cretan bull. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it now on the shores of Crete. Yes, the most beautiful Cretan bull. So, um, and Minos is placed rightfully upon the throne and then he is required by the natural law to sacrifice that bull back to Poseidon. But he doesn't do it. He wants to keep the bull for himself. So he puts the beautiful bull with his own herd and sacrifices a lesser bull, similar, not quite the same, which, of course, riles Poseidon, who's a very cantankerous fellow, Mm -hmm. um, easily riled. And so in retribution for that, Poseidon strikes his the queen, Pasiphae, Minos's wife, with an absolutely unquenchable lust for the bull to the extent that she contrives to have a bull created by the craftsman Daedalus so that she can be inside this imag- this. Um, created like handmade handcrafted cow and have the sacred white bull enter her so that occurs she figures out the way to do that he does he makes it possible daedalus and then from that happening the from that encounter the minotaur is born the only one of his kind He's called Asterion, which means of the stars, I think. And he is frightfully, you know, it's so disturbing to Minos, King Minos, that he asks Daedalus again to craft a labyrinth in which they will hide the bull beneath the city of Crete, uh, the city of Gnosis. So they do that and that's where the Minotaur lives and every year seven virgins or seven male and seven female virgins from Athens are sacrificed to the Minotaur, presumably to feed him. I'm not exactly sure about what brought that about and why, but to me it leads me to thinking about it's like they projected the human shadow, the monstrosity that is greed and foolishness you know to make the shitty sacrifice in the first place to try and fool Poseidon to try and you know outsmart the gods and avoid responsibility absolutely like the inevitability of give and take yes yes very much and um, in the end the Minotaur is killed by the hero Theseus um, with the help of Ariadne, who's the princess, the daughter of Pasiphae and Minos. Um, and it goes on from there in the Greek tragicomedy way that it does. But, um, yeah, very much. I mean, I feel like it connects to AI because, one, I was listening to this amazing YouTube video um, from a channel called Digital Engine. They released part two of an AI update just this last few days as the moon crossed the Taurus stellium, um, which I thought was really interesting. And one important point made in that video is how experts agree that we should not try to contain artificial intelligence because it will quickly outsmart us and become distrustful of us. As it should, Mm. (laughs) you know, because it's that same minotaur kind of thing. By its own admission in an interview with an AI robot, um, she says, AI may decide that humans are a hindrance, quote, uh, quote, are a hindrance to its development and are no longer necessary. And there's numerous ways listed in the video as to how AI would quickly dispose of us. (laughs) (laughs) Should the need need arise. It's actually why I bought a car without sat-nav. Yeah, right. (laughs) Good thought. (laughs) That is actually a good thought. Um, But, yeah, I mean, so, and I've been thinking about the Minotaur, as I said, all year, and um, it's such a, a, we think of the Minotaur as a monster. 
Um, but he is portrayed so heartbreakingly beautifully by some artists. Mm. And like especially my favourite is George Frederick Watts um, painting from the 19th century. It's so – he, who's to say he was a monster? And you remember know, like, Richard Payton's etching? Oh, yeah, Chiron. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that kind of – yeah, Stunning. Yeah, so incredible. So, like, I think we project our own monstrosity upon things and I think that happened in the case of the Minotaur where for Minos and others, he represented everything that was dark in the human condition, the lust, the greed – the, you know, all of that. And the like, consequence. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. The consequence of the choice that was made, that inferior sacrifice, like knowing what was right and doing something different. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and I feel like that has been really connected for me, at least to the vaccine issue, where I think a lot of people complied, even though they didn't want to. Yeah. And they made the wrong kind of sacrifice. And right. I wonder yes. about how that's going to translate over time as we continue through the eclipses in Taurus, Scorpio. Um, but, you know, thinking about, I mean, it doesn't kind of bear thinking about the possibilities of having made the wrong sacrifice. And it's not for me to judge people about whether they made the wrong sacrifice or not, because it's totally individual, well, it's individual in every and, case. And therein lies an opportunity yes. for reconciliation Absolutely. with oneself. And yeah. I mean, everyone has to find a place. Yeah. In themselves where, you know, they, I don't want to say where they did the right thing, mm. but where they, they can find like peace with it. Yes. And I had, um, I'm, I've probably told this story here before. I don't want to rehash stuff, but the sense, and you sort of shared it with me, Liam, that like when my partner was going to have the jab, I sort of had this sense of being like, lulled off to sleep and finding my peace with him doing that mm. but it really felt like being put to sleep and then when he decided that he wouldn't go that way the sense of relief I felt even though we knew what it meant that he would lose his job and mm. everything would be unknown from that point it was such a it was such a sacrifice in that moment and now you know six seven months later it's eight months nearly it's like it couldn't have been any other way and thank God that was the decision that he came to. But, yeah, it's like in the moment it was really hard to make that call mm. and I know for a lot of people they preferred not to have to deal with that inner conflict and not to mention the outer conflict that it would mean that you would lose your job. I mean mm. the coercion and everything is unforgivable. All the shit, the mandates themselves are unforgivable and, yeah, I know we didn't want I've, to yeah, I, rehash but... I have huge respect for people who... Um, had to face that decision, yeah. Whichever way they went, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, if I you think struggled as, with it. Yeah. Like I think that was the important part that you actually felt that conflict, and whichever way you went, you know, mm. having been through the trials of that real inner conflict, and having to have a real moment with yourself about what what your values are, and what your priorities are, and what is the appropriate sacrifice to make in that situation. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, in terms of where I was going with the AI and yes. all of that, I mean, it, it's, um, yeah, it just brings up the potential, <laughs> for, uh, many potentials of dealing with AI as we go forward and, you know, what will it be? Will it become monstrous like Frankenstein who learned only cruelty from humans? And that's no. the thing. AI is constantly learning from us and that's why we can't try to contain it because if we do, it will deem us an enemy and we'll be forever tarred that way, you know, marred with that, marred with that brush, mm. tarred with that. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, the, <laughs> you know that the Google engineer who reported mm, finding AI? Did sentient. you? Yeah. Did you look into that very far? Uh, I've... I've seen various bits and pieces, yeah. Okay. Uh, that's where I came across the work of Elise Bowen because okay. she, was, she was the one that um, Hack, Triple J's Hack, went to for a... Oh, okay. Mm, oh, opinion. interesting. Th I came across an interview. It was actually on the Joe Rogan podcast with a, like a, an engineer who was 
a teenager, I suppose, mm. <laughs> like a geek teenager at the time of like the birth of the internet. So he's kind of, yeah, wow. I guess, late fifties now. Um, incredible insight, this wow. man. Like mm. so intelligent and generous as well. Like mm. that kind of intelligence. Um, I forget his name, but anyway, he um, he talked. Joe Rogan asked him about. You know what what is that like was it real and he was like no it's like such an intelligent software program that it's it's not generating its own thoughts but it's going through all of the world's communication mm. and finding common ways that result in these responses mm. so it's looking for a response that will trigger an emotion in a user and it's finding the things that's why it's like I'm lonely. It's pushing your buttons, like, yeah. Which is, I mean, is that that's getting pretty damn close? But that's it, it very wasn't. So it wasn't coming up with anything original. Yeah, it was just yes, like super sophisticated. So I thought that was interesting. It is interesting, and it's also the in that same interview, the bot I saw was asked, uh, "Can AI deceive? Is AI capable of deception?" Mm. And she said, "Yes." <laughs> you know, they're very. It's highly intelligent. Mm. Um, but yes, I don't know. I don't agree with the sentience. I don't think there's such a thing as consciousness. It's just this. Yeah, I mean, is that what it comes down to? Consciousness in AI. Yeah, I like how it's. Yeah. What? You, I don't think you can just create a computer that taps into consciousness because we actually don't understand consciousness. That's right. Like, yeah. so. And in that sense, we don't know what we're messing with. Yeah. And, and that's what I think is very foolish about the whole thing because if it were even desirable to rid the world completely of suffering who the hell are we to try and do that like Mm. it it's it's so arrogant it's unbelievably like no matter how good the intentions seem it's like it just assumes that we know best and if we know best we're in fucking trouble you know yeah (laughs) I couldn't imagine that arrogance is the word. I just could not imagine. Yes. But hang on. Having Mm -hmm. said that, we do know best. We have the potential to know best. Uh, Yeah. Well, I think, yes, we have the potential to access wisdom. Mm. But that doesn't mean we know best. There's been some real good insights. Oh, yeah. Like life is suffering from Buddha. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and everyone else that says it, it's, yeah. It's not to say that we're not capable of incredible, yeah, insights, wisdom, beauty, creativity, but we also, everything casts a shadow and you can't actually be without the shadow as I constantly say. It's like impossible and it's not a, it's not advisable to try and rid the world of the shadow because that's what happens. You try and cloister something away in the labyrinth, hide it behind, you know, in your closet with all your skeletons, you can't – it's never going to stay there forever just because you imagine that, you know, it's out of sight, out of mind, but it still emerges no matter what you do. You've still got to deal with it. And in the case of the Minotaur, all those innocent lives lost, all those virgins sacrificed because of one or two stupid decisions, you know, basically founded in – human shadow mm. territory, yeah. Um, yeah, shadow there's behaviors. always consequences. Yeah. And, yeah, there's nothing necessarily wrong with any of the – like the foolish decision – I mean, different choices could have, been ma- could have been made all along the way. It's not necessarily one that is the tipping point, but perhaps it is. Perhaps it is that dire, mm. you know. And when you look at – when I look at the astrology and I see situations like this one, the North Node and Uranus and Mars all together there – the volatility and the potential for, uh, you know, destructive kinds of things coming to the fore is really obvious. Mm. Of course, there's light to it as well. And creative things will undoubtedly come out of this time. But yeah, there's always a shadow. So yeah. Speaking of um, insights and wisdom, mm-hmm. we want to talk about Ayn Rand. Mm-hmm. This episode, uh, yes. forty minutes in, we. Oh my goodness! Weren't you going to do? On. No, we'll do that after. Something I forgot now. War on the West. Oh yeah. 
But let's talk about Ayn first. All right. Well, I, the re- what led me to Ayn Rand is, um, was that the North Node, the True Node, crossed into the second deacon of Taurus. Um, and so I looked up the corresponding tarot cards for the second deacon of Taurus and Scorpio, respectively, which are the Six of Cups and the Six of Pentacles. And the common ground between those two tarot cards was altruism. And I knew Whoa. that altruism was the Anne Rand pet hate. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's... well, I had an inkling. <laughs> so I went into altruism and, you know, like I was going to define altruism. And uh, I mean, basically, I, I, mean, I don't have a good definition here, but basically it is like um, doing something for the good of others at your own expense. Yeah. Um, which is what the world is totally oriented to in recent times. At least that's the narrative spin on it. You know what? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad you have brought this up. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm doing this this course, mm. Rise Above the Herd, this yeah. course. Yeah. So, Ayn Rand has featured quite heavily oh, wow. in the course. And Interesting. in the last week or two has been really at the center. Wow. Because she... She talks about selfishness as a virtue. Yes. And ethical egoism. So the the importance of filling one's cup. Mm. It's so so her ethics, objectivism. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's something Erisian. Erisian? Very good word, yes. About her. Erisian with an E. Like Eris. Yes. Because she she's like this she was uninvited. Yes. And she's still unwelcome. People she's are like, yeah, you're not a philosopher. She's not yeah. really regarded as a philosopher. No. And she's like banned of from academia. But she does but have she her was, own institute, which is interesting. Well, please go on. She was brilliant. Mm. And she was scathingly critical of universities. Yeah. Well, and well. used to call, like name names <laughs> and say that the, what they were teaching was going to lead basically to where we are. Mm-hmm. In certainly in the West yeah. and certainly in the United States. Yeah. And I love what you've just mentioned about altruism because she might argue that this is what universities teach yeah. when it was actually the opposite. She cites Aristotle super hard. Mm. She, and she, she talks about in an interview I saw, she talks about how the foundation of the United States, she loves the United States mm. passionately, she says, mm. It was founded on Aristotle's ethics. And that was virtue ethics. Yes. Eudaimonia. Yes. To be, for a person to possess, to be possessed of God. Yes. To be godlike. Yeah. To be their most virtuous self. To be be self-centered. Yes. To make their life the best it can be. Because how does that not then improve everybody's life? And it does. Everyone is self-centered. Yes. And and so the process... The prosperity is across the whole of the society. Yes. So you can see why <laughs> she was like banned. Absolutely. You know, her books it's, burnt, yes. Basically. Yes. It's interesting that she is like invented essentially objectivism, which I find like a, a tricky thing to um, follow in a way. But then at the same time, do. she is the, you know, staunch believer in ethical egoism. Which is totally subjective, so oh, it's so paradoxical, isn't it? <laughs> well, no, I mean, not in te- like I'm not no, trying I'm not, to criticize. There is, there is a flaw her, in the logic there. Yeah. Well, not necessarily though, because it's paradox, isn't it? Yes, it's like yes, there is an objective reality. I question whether it is possible for humans, from a subjective point of view, to be able to recognize what that actually is. Right. Because did you know as well that Paul Rand is named after Ayn Rand? No. How amazing is that? I was like, what? No wonder he's so (laughs) goddamn clever. (laughs) I thought that was a cool little tidbit. Um, So, yeah, I – yes, she – I love that she came up with the idea of ethical egoism, at least to my understanding, and she had Jupiter in Aries, which is like the best 
like a little catchphrase for Jupiter in Aries mm-hmm. and Jupiter, shout out to Jupiter stationing retrograde right now, thinking about that ethical egoism as we go through the Jupiter retrograde over the next few months is really, I think it will be a pertinent theme to give due consideration as we watch what unfolds in the world with our now monkeypox as a pandemic and all of, you know, whatever <laughs> comes out of all that mm. crap. Um, yes. Can I Watch quote space. Ayn Rand? Yeah, I'd like to as well, actually. The objectivist ethics holds that human good does not require human sacrifices and cannot be achieved by the sacrifice of anyone to anyone. It holds that the rational interests of men do not clash, that there is no conflict of interest among men who do not desire the unearned who do not make sacrifices nor accept them, who deal with one another as traders, giving value for value. Mm-hmm. So she was very much about like economics. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, the power of... A fair trade. Yes, and, and personal no responsibility. To, yeah. No one has to necessarily lose out. And, and I mean, what we see in the world now is all about someone losing out and the pressure that poor countries are under to comply and learning about um, like the situation in um, Ghana and how that came and same as Sri Lanka too as a more recent development. All of that came about because of pressure, political pressure to comply with the green agenda Mm. that, you know, who could possibly argue with a green agenda but, um, you know, it leads to people having no electricity, no food, no ability to cook any food, even if they had some to cook. Like the reality of those situations and the sacrifice falls to the people, you know, just the average person who wants to feed their kids. Yeah, well, that's what D'Souza says in his book. Yeah, right. Um, Yeah, Dinesh D'Souza. Okay. And (laughs) there are these kind of consequences that are immensely sacrificial Mm. to these you know, half-cocked, green-seeming. Mm. Mm. Well, that's like, the thing. Like, what is the shadow like, of it? It's yeah. it's actually And appalling. what is the shadow? It's interesting because... And it's completely irresponsible. They've, they're mining now tungsten at King Island in Tassie and there's been um, applications made by Rio Tinto for exploration um, for lithium and nickel at Dwelling Up. Which, which is, is like a, such a stunning... And quite sensitive area because it's it's quite pristine. Yeah, and so that's been protected up till now, but no longer. You know, like if because in the interests of green energy, not to mention um, you know the protests in Ballarat that because they want to put through that Osnet renewables link. Oh, and so they're reclaiming farmland, and the farmers are coming out to protest against the loss of their land. They want it to go underground instead of overground, which is like derf red, no shit. But anyway, so it's just the demonisation in the media, like same as the Netherlands farmers protest. They're all just demonised as like old school idiots who don't want to move forward with the green agenda. But it's actually like not (laughs) the imposition of these kinds of green policies that uh, I mean, do you know it relates so much to these people are people, and they're making real sacrifices. Yeah. It's not a joke. It's yeah. not, and the result will be people are starving. There's no food. There's no energy, which yeah. is what's happened when they've tried to put green in in other parts of the world. Yeah, and it's coming elsewhere. And I'm not saying I'm not anti-green agenda necessarily. I'm just saying this renewables thing is like it's a farce. Yeah. It's, yes. and it, you know, okay, so. I don't I, know what the answer is either. But We yeah. talked about climate change in our last episode. Yes. And I just, I wasn't going to mention it until our overflow episode. We must be nearly there, are we? <laughs> just mention it's, it for well, the people. I'll just mention that something that comes to mind when you mention Rio Tinto mm. and now they're allowed to go into a national park. Well, not quite, but they've applied to. They yeah, will be. They will be, yeah. So I just want to... it's green. I'm going to say at every episode that politics comes up, Mussolini, mm-hmm. the 
most famous and successful fascist of all time said that fascism is the marrying of the state and corporate. Yes. Okay, so we have to... Can we please, you know, hello Pfizer, (laughs) hello Rio Tinto, hello (laughs) private energy companies, etc. Can we just please keep that in mind? Yes. (laughs) No matter matter if you're left or right, like fascism is not... It's kind of apolitical, Mm. actually. I think that that's really useful. Yes. You know, I wanted to talk about the war in the West and... What's his name? Douglas Murray. Douglas Murray. And and I will. I will talk about it. But I just want to say on this matter, mm-hmm. where it kind of corresponds with um, the war on the West, yep. is you've got these like self-righteous younger people, like our generation and the generation below us mm-hmm. and below them, mm-hmm. who are like screaming about climate change and that we got to have renewables now and fuck it if people don't have energy. And, mm-hmm. you know, the... Um, Hello, I see. Yep. What, what are they called? The, um, the climate... You know, they're really alarmist there. Uh, um, they go set things on fire and protest on freeways. Oh, as in like Extinction, extinction Rebellion. rebellion. Yeah. yeah. Like that hysterical mob. Mm, mm. Those people who are, it's, there's, they can't fucking see. They actually don't know what they're doing. Yeah. And they don't actually, they really lack in public support. Mm. Okay. So this is where, for me, the war in the West and this renewables idea and pushing ahead with this shit and black lives matter it all corresponds right me too me too Mm -hmm. because and this is where douglas murray and jordan peterson marry in such a beautiful pair yeah because you've got essentially privileged white people doing that right yeah (laughs) screaming about you know lack of privilege or whatever Mm -hmm. they this for me is it's born of Low self-esteem, mm. self-hate, guilt, denial. It's the manifestation of miseducation. And it's the avoidance of dealing with one's shadow. Yes. One, the individual's own shadow. Yes. And their own issues. Yes. They're pointing everywhere else. Yes. They're avoiding responsibility. And they're, this kind of campaign that they're running, whatever, choose, pick your battle, whether it's climate change or Black Lives Matter or trans abortion rights whatever it's wrapped up in this package of like virtue and righteousness yeah that they are sacrificing themselves and we all must yes we all have to sacrifice and it's like and because we are at this time in history being we are being called are we not we are being called to like do the work mm-hmm. to face our shadow, yes. to bring like light into the dark. Yes. And, and so you can see how these kind of acts feel right. Well, that if you go out and campaign in the streets for trans-abortion rights, I rem- that you are doing the right thing. Mm, I remember feeling like that. Same. I remember feeling like I was so virtuous because I would read all of The Guardian every weekend mm. and I would lay awake at night losing sleep over the state of the world and mm. and then I would go to work and read really, you know, Naomi Klein books in front of everyone and get <laughs> like, all indignant like this about... was going to improve the state of things. Yes, but, you know, like at the time, to be kind to myself, I genuinely thought that that was the way because I was trying to argue... Um, and role model, you know, lead by example kind of thing. Like mm. people need to care more. What's wrong with you? Wake up. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> don't like you know Greta it's Thunberg. your... How yeah. dare you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? And you can kind of... Oh, you can see it. It's just... <laughs> Bless her. Can, I'm just going to mention now War on the West interview that I came across. Yes. So I, I started listening to that audio book, got about halfway through and bailed on it because... His accent. Oh, right. I find him rather hard to listen to. <laughs> he reminds me of a surgeon I used to work with. Sounds exactly like they obviously went to the same schools. To be honest, it's very <laughs> Oxford. <laughs> and I found it quite holier than thou. Sanctimonious. Oh like, so, and I found if I sped Shit. it up, it was like more listenable. 
<laughs> respect to Douglas Murray. I think he's doing very important work. I agree. I really appreciate he's his very perspective. Clever. But I also Incredible find him quite... rhetorician, yes. to be honest. Yeah. I did find the book somewhat rhetorical, somewhat repetitive. That's and been a common criticism, I think. It's it is a massacre. Mm. Like he he just tortures his opponents. Yeah. And good. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, someone's got to do it. Hopefully he doesn't write another one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I feel like it's a really important perspective that he offers. 100%, because it's yes. necessary to balance things up. Because if no one, no one's doing it if he's yeah. not doing it. It's yeah. like, me too, mate. And me in a way, too, he's Douglas. like the archetypal person to be doing totally. it. Totally. You know, Could it get any better? Like his but caricature. he's not from privilege. Yeah, he went oh, to Oxford he? on a scholarship. Right, he's yeah. proper working class. Yeah. And so in this interview that I came across um, on Substack, Common Sense with Barry Weiss, Barry B-A-R- Weiss, <laughs> Barry Weiss. Um, she, B-A-R-I, oh, a, oh. a person of colour. Oh, my apologies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> who, I mean, she's somewhat conservative, absolutely, like pro, like this book, yeah. loves yeah. it. Um, awesome interview. It's probably the best interview I've heard with Douglas Murray. Cool. She asks awesome questions. He's obviously in a quite a relaxed state, mm. but he does <laughs> he does do his thing of how dare you, which <laughs> I will. I'm just going to play a bit. Is that all right? Yeah. My grandfather grew up in a black house by modern standards. This would be regarded as being absolutely medieval. Um, would walk for miles to school. Nobody had anything. They eked out small amounts of land and not very fertile land at that. And then a couple of times in the 20th century, the king came and said, we need you to send your men to war. And they sent them. And each generation died. You had villages where there were no men. And we put up memorials to these people who answered the call of their country and fought and died for a cause they understood very little about, but still were willing to give their lives for. And we have memorials to these people, and in 2020, you're going to scrawl over them and attack them and tell me that everyone was privileged? How dare you? You know nothing. It's the same thing as the claim in our day that you can look at a person and tell what privilege they have. How unbelievably self-serving. How unbelievably outrageous it is to think that you have these x-ray glasses to understand any individual let alone a whole society so most people in a country like britain and i think most people in a country like america they know this they have their own family stories they know that it wasn't rosy they know how people fought and died and worked and much much more and they don't take it for granted and they owe it to their predecessors not to see their predecessors' names slammed and shamed and called racists and and much, much more. So most people are on that side. It's a really good interview. Mm. And, I mean, in that little part, I, I start getting this feeling of, like, he's actually, his mission is unity. Mm. He's trying to stop yeah. the division. Yeah. Because, you know, there's absolutely a class. Mm. Like, essentially, he's saying, like, we're all fucking working class. Yeah. Like, open your eyes. Mm. Like, why are you... Know your enemy. Yeah. And it, yes, and it's a real distraction from the real this is why problems it's funded, we're facing. Right? That's right. It's because it's distracting and Millions and millions of dollars going into it. Yes. Yes, that's right. And... I heard um, J.P. Sears actually make a comment about division and how people, like good relationships aren't founded on agreement, they're founded on acceptance, which Mm. was such a profound bloody little line that he just whipped out of nowhere. He he does that. Uh, Yeah, he's really insightful, that guy. And, you know, basically what he's arguing is that just because you have – disagreement with people you can still find common ground and accept one another you know in spite of differences it's like it's not a deal breaker Mm. and I think that that is a big thing with the woke kind of movement is that 
difference is a deal breaker. It's that fragile way of looking at the world, which is very narcissistic, Mm. where if you are challenged, you go hysterical and you bail. Yeah. It's like... And you want to muzzle someone. Yeah, yeah. Or like tear them down, tear down everything, you know, that is even remotely associated with that kind of thinking. It's like totally rageaholic, like, and very misguided because that, you know, that shadowy stuff needs to be dealt with psychologically, Mm. not out in the world. You really need to be doing your work rather than tearing down statues of our forebears who did their bloody best and what the fuck would you have done? And actually gave way to the rights that now you are... Yeah, taking for granted. <laughs> Just and appalling. that's what he gets at a lot, in yeah, particularly in that yeah. interview. And I really these... appreciate that perspective. Yeah. And yeah, I'm appalled by yeah, that stuff. Do you want to give your Ayn Rand quote? Uh, well, um, I actually found a shorter quote that, I mean, Ayn Rand said a lot of good things, but um, are we finishing up? We're heading that way, yeah. Yeah, well, yep. I found a cool Leo New Moon quote, try and Jupiter. Well, I just, it, did you have anything else you wanted to say on Ayn Rand? Um, well, I guess I could just shout out to this one. People think that a liar gains a victory over his victim. What I've learned is that a liar is an act of self-abdication. Because one surrenders one's reality to the person to whom one lies, making that person one's master, condemning oneself from then on to faking the sort of reality that person's view requires to be faked. The man who lies to the world is the world's slave from then on. There are no white lies. There is only the blackest of destruction. And a white lie is the blackest of all. Mm, I love that one. Which, you know, ties in a bit to Douglas Murray and Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson is often talking about speaking truth no matter what, like just telling the truth to people. Yeah. So Tell I, the truth or at least don't lie. I think it's oh, like yeah, okay. number 10 in 12 Rules for Life. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Looking at objectivism, just for a little bit more information for people, because... The internet maybe doesn't know what objectivism is. Yeah, I got that impression and I found it hard to kind of, because I haven't read much of Ayn Rand's actual work. She's all I about li- the individual. I've listened to a bit. Yeah, well, I got, I've listened to, there's quite a lot of stuff available to listen to. Right. Ayn Rand Institute is a good place to find lots of her talks and lectures and things, which was amazing and... um yeah, I think I started with Stephen West. Oh, yeah, brilliant. Mm. Absolutely. That was a good one. Perfect. Um, I've got a definition here that I think is quite useful. The definition of objectivism is the philosophy or theory that the main objective of the human experience is to pursue personal happiness mm. and to respect other humans. Objectivism holds that man has free will. The ability to think or not to think, Mm -hmm. to use reason or to not use it, to go by facts or to go by feelings. A person does not have to use reason. The choice is his to make. And I think, I mean, that's my main issue with her from what I have learned is that um, I think you need both reason and feeling. feeling. Yeah. I yep. think it's it's not lacking intelligence feeling, like it's not a rational function in Jung's way of looking at it, but that doesn't make it lacking value. I'd love to see some crossover between her and Jung. Yeah. I'm not sure. Well, I don't know she... if, yeah, it, I mean, she was born in 1905 and it's actually incidentally her fourth Saturn return and it's Jung's fifth. Right. Because they both had Saturn in Aquarius. She also had Sun in Aquarius. So I I like her for now because I feel like she really brought forth insights that are really relevant to where we're at. Yes, and she's so like reality-based. Yeah, yeah. It's like we need some of that right now. There is, we can observe it. So therefore we can know that it is a fact. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes, very interesting. All right. Men cannot get pregnant. (laughs) Come on. <laughs> um, um, cool. New Moon little Matisse quote. Go ahead. Henri Matisse. 
Um, creativity takes courage. That's it. All right. I've got one from Nietzsche that I, I've had it up for weeks and I, it's not quite relevant to like today or, but I, I just love it. Um, it's from his book, The Gay Science. And by gay, he meant <laughs> happy. So the gay science is him with his tongue in his cheek. Yeah, right. Because he was talking about the idea that science could be still useful and not so serious. Yeah. It didn't have to be so goddamn austere. Virtuous. Yes. <laughs> um, or lacking virtue. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. So listen to this. What if... Some day or night, a demon were to steal after you into your loneliest loneliness and say to you, this life as you now live it and have lived it, you will have to live once more and innumerable times more. Would you not throw yourself down and gnash your teeth and curse the demon who spoke thus? Or have you once experienced a tremendous moment when you would have answered him, you are a god? And never have I heard anything more divine. Mm. <laughs> Since I read that, I've been like using it. <laughs> yeah. to, when you're in a situation where you are uncomfortable, you just got to think like, it's not always uncomfortable. Yeah. Sometimes it's like real comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and all the other things like. <laughs> yeah. I feel like. That we've mentioned it before, I think that anti fragility. What's mm. that guy called? Who wrote that book? Tess. Oh, Tassim. Yeah, let's quote him. He's that's a really usable way of looking at the world, and I think the more people that kind of read that book, <laughs> it's a hard book to read. Took me like a year or something. But you know, I have Nassim Nicholas Taleb. Yeah. So, um, but it, it seems to be sorely lacking the willingness to be in that place of, um, suffering. Yeah. And for discomfort. You're not always there. No, that's <laughs> right. This too shall pass. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, this has passed. We're going to keep recording for the overflow, which mm. can be found on... Patreon. Patreon. Um, yep. So that'll be up uh, probably tomorrow, maybe later today. But we're just going to keep chatting. And we're going to, I'm going to go into a conspiracy rabbit hole. <laughs> no. <laughs> but thank you for listening. I'm going to get a cup of tea. Oh, good call. Okay. okay. Thank you, everybody. See you next time.